Maine is known for its rocky coastline, beautiful forests, and brutal winters. It's the home of Stephen King, Alan's Coffee Brandy, and the Best Lobster. To the people who come from away, it's a vacation. But to those of us who live here, it's the way life should be. Welcome to Vacationland. My name is AJ, and I will be your guide through the history and mysteries of Maine. You've heard it mentioned twice now if you've been listening in order. The main school for the feeble-minded, also known as Pownall State School, was the place where several Malaga Island residents were confined, and Pauline Young's sister, Evangeline, was institutionalized. This week, we're going to take a deeper look at the facility and its history. There is a lot of old language used in the articles I found while doing my research. I'm going to do my best not to use those words. We all know it's not right. There's no need for me to perpetuate that language, but please be aware of that if you do decide to look up some of the sources. The main school for the feeble-minded was established in 1907 by the state. Built in 1908, it resided on a section of farmland in New Gloucester, where people with developmental disabilities had previously been cared for at home and by their community. It was soon replaced by the idea that they were dangerous possibly criminals, and institutionalizing them was the most humane way to care for them. Doctors would even go so far as to urge couples to institutionalize their disabled children immediately after birth. Feeble-mindedness was defined in a report of the Maine Commission for the Feeble-Minded as those who by reason of an innate or lifelong intelligence defect or character deviation are not wholly self-supporting, but are in some measure unduly dependent either for guidance or maintenance. The insane have a mental disease which is not regarded as innate, and such should not be classified as feeble-minded. Dementing and deteriorating cases, who have been at some time self-supporting, are not to be regarded as feeble-minded. Children who may become self-supporting under adequate training are not to be classified, for the purpose of this survey, as feeble-minded. While classified as a school, the facility focused on more than classroom education. Residents would work on the farm, in the kitchen, the laundry, or the hospital. The girls would learn sewing, and the boys learned various manual skills. There was a wood shop on site, and some would learn how to repair machinery. Dr. Seth C. Gordon, who was a supporter of the school, was quoted regarding the work, Keep these poor, unfortunate employed, and do them good. The institute was supposed to house residents between the ages of 3 and 21, but when it opened, the population grew very quickly. Some caregivers and medical personnel felt that all people with developmental disabilities should be institutionalized. Judges would also send people who were orphaned or just plain old poor to the school. There was, of course, the instance of the family from Malaga Island that was institutionalized partly because they weren't white, but also because being from a poor island fishing community, they didn't have the same knowledge or understanding that white educated people did. A new superintendent would take over the school in 1919. Dr. Stephen Vosberg brought with him some new ideas about treatment for the developmentally disabled. 
It was not uncommon at the time for many doctors to believe that disability was inherited or hereditary. It was the prevailing belief in eugenics, which would lead to the state law in 1925, which permitted the forced sterilization of any person with a perceived mental deficit. Maine was the 25th state to pass such a law. Dr. Vosberg was a strong believer in forcibly sterilizing what he called the subnormal population. 189 people were reportedly sterilized at the school, but it is believed that number is low and more were forced to undergo the procedure. The practice would continue into the 1960s. In 1925, Vosberg would also change the name of the school because the term feeble-minded had become outdated. It was now the Pownell State School. There was little funding, but the school continued to grow, and in the 1930s more changes would come. It housed a population of some 1,100 people by the end of the 1930s. There were 51 buildings, approximately 200 employees. The school had its own water system and power plant. The cost of admitting every person who had developmental disabilities had become too overwhelming and impractical. Soon, medical professionals would begin considering returning to community-based care for those who functioned well outside the institution. This was the start of special education in public schools. Pownell State School would soon begin to draw public scrutiny as citizen groups, employees, and former patients began to raise alarms about the conditions within the facility. The Maine Federation of Women's Clubs would draw the attention of Governor Frederick Payne, who would appoint a committee to monitor and report on the facility in early 1951. The school had come under fire. Reports of warehousing residents, a practice of placing patients in impersonal institutions without closely monitored care, a lack of productive or positive work, and abuse of the patients brought stark criticism and a community's anger down onto the staff. Superintendent Dr. Naseeb Kupelian ardently defended Pownell and secured funding to build two new halls and pay for staff increases, but it wouldn't be enough. Capellian would eventually be replaced by a new doctor. Peter Bowman would become the superintendent in 1953, and in 1957 the school would change its name again to become the Pineland Hospital and Training Center. Dr. Bowman, like his predecessors, believed in the medical model of treatment. He would add a dentist and psychiatrist to the employee roster. Bowman would continue to face public scrutiny, however, and he was very sensitive about it. He worked hard to ensure that employees treated patients well, focusing on training for his staff. Dr. Bowman fought to increase the staff and upgrade the facilities. He conducted a census of the patients and staff at Pineland to help justify his call for more funds. It would show that many of the buildings were overcrowded and understaffed. By 1963, the center was accredited. It was now a psychiatric hospital for children as well as a facility for the developmentally disabled. Nationwide, patients were being not only released, but welcomed back into communities. Institutions would again come under scrutiny by families and caregivers who questioned if institutionalization was the best option for people with disabilities. By 1970, Dr. Bowman would lose his job and the center would lose its accreditation. The name changed yet again. It was now Pineland Center. The growing trend of deinstitutionalization would take its toll on the facility. Fewer than 500 patients occupied the center by the mid-1970s, 
and the lawsuit would further rock the embattled institution. The center faced continued accusations of abuse and inadequate care to patients of all ages. The lawsuit ended in a consent decree which set new standards of care for the shrinking institution. Pineland Center was monitored by the court, but by 1991 the decision would be made to close the facility, and in 1996 it closed its doors for good. This year, a new podcast came out called Life on My Own, Developmental Disabilities from Institution to the Community. The podcast features interviews with a few former residents of Pineland. They recount some of the abuse they suffered at the hands of the staff, including having their every move watched closely so there was no privacy. They were forced into straitjackets, and some even faced physical violence from the staff. But this is not the sole focus of Life on My Own. It was important to the Maine Developmental Disabilities Council, who produced the podcast, to show how far these former patients have come and how well they've integrated into society. Having been institutionalized myself for my own disability at a young age, I can attest to how dehumanizing the lack of privacy is and the fear involved watching a fellow patient be physically restrained. I was thankfully there a short time, But too often, society looks at anyone with a disability and thinks it's easier to just put them away somewhere without realizing the cost, both to the individual and the community. People with disabilities, no matter what form they take, are valuable assets. We can only add to society. Unfortunately, too few people realize that. In March of 2019, a judge terminated the consent decree that governed services for the patients of Pineland. 750 of the former patients had wished to continue the decree, but Attorney General Janet Mills stated, The state of Maine is committed to providing members services in their communities. People have a right to live, work, play, and worship in their communities rather than in institutions. Maine is one of only 10 states that do not institutionalize people with cognitive disabilities. We can be justifiably proud of the work our state has done. Never again will the state shelter away individuals with disabilities, hide them behind closed doors, or deprive them of support and socialization. I can say that Mills has the right idea, but the state is still far from ideal for people with disabilities. There is a lot more work to do. was once the main school for the feeble-minded is now Pineland Farms. Purchased by the Lieber Foundation in 2000, it has undergone extensive renovations which added businesses, trails, and other recreational activities. In a statement to the Sun Journal in July of 2000, Owen Wells, head of the Lieber Foundation, said, I thought there's nothing to be ashamed of in terms of what Pineland was for many years. It was a wonderful farm operation and it was a wonderful facility. We set out very early not to abandon the history. The history is good. We think it is a history that ought to be acknowledged. I'm not sure the former patients who are still living would agree with that statement, but Wells still said it out loud. The website now boasts, located in the rolling hills of New Gloucester, Maine, 
Pineland Farms is a 5,000-acre working farm, diverse business campus, an educational and recreational venue that welcomes visitors to enjoy its beautiful rural landscape. From an embattled institution to an idyllic farm, Pineland has come a long way. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more, you can check out the sources listed at pinetreepodcast.com and click on Vacation Land at the top of the page. Music is by Lurker. You can check out more of his work at lurker.bandcamp.com and follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at vacationlandpod. And finally, I have a small announcement. I won't be posting an episode next week. I've fallen behind on some things and my ability to care for myself has suffered in the last couple weeks So I'm taking a bit of a breather to get my shit together, and I'll be back after the holiday. Happy Thanksgiving. I hope you're all taking care of yourselves, taking precautions, and staying healthy.